Uh, right, before we start, I've asked if, um, well, okay, to start, I've asked if Jen uh, would read out the passage that we're going to be looking at today, um, doing something slightly different. So Jen's going to read out the first chapter of Daniel for us. If you've got a Bible, you can follow it along or just listen to Jen as she reads. So take it away, Jen. Daniel's training in Babylon. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Excellent. Thank you. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for uh, being here uh, with us by your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, we just ask that as I speak today, that I would speak the words that you give me, and that anything that, uh, that needs to be heard by people will be emphasized in their hearts. And Lord, we just pray that as well, we'd have a really good time this morning hearing your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've already preached this, uh, this talk at the Methodist Church in Kenilworth. Um, 
admittedly it was a shorter version. They told me I had 10 minutes uh, to preach a sermon, which I kind of took the liberties and made it about 20 minutes. Leslie's nodding her head, so that would be great. Um, I've, I've elongated it for today and made it. No. Um, so what I want to talk about is culture, a little bit around culture and using Daniel to talk about that. So we hear that culture is moving all the time, shifting, changing. We have a culture shift. We have a changing culture. But what do we mean when we say the word culture? We hear different news reports of crises in the banking industry. Last year, a small minority of young people and other people took to the streets to cause disruption. Um, And we've just had the games in the capital, as advertising rights have restricted it to be. Uh, London 2012, I'm not quite sure whether I'm allowed to say that, but... We seem to have this culture going on, uh, all these different things kind of make up our culture. We've had a sudden rise in patriotism. Uh, Street parties and the Olympics has really helped with that. So we have moral questions being asked again. Um, Things like um, the the marriage question that's going on at the moment. I saw a really interesting bumper sticker the other day uh, that said... If it carries on like this, people will start going back to church, exclamation mark. Uh, I thought it was quite interesting to have that stuck on the back of your car. Um, I'm not quite sure what angle they were coming from, but it was interesting. Uh, God is back in the news. We've been all been urged to pray for Mwamba, who was the footballer who had a heart attack on the pitch. Um, every tabloid newspaper, I think at the time, had, you know, please pray, only God can save Mwamba, and all that kind of thing, which is crazy. And a few years ago, we had Wayne Rooney and his foot on the front, which was broken, and the sun was urging us to lay hands on the foot and pray, which I thought was, yeah, incredible. That we, that, that's, it's brilliant. Um, more personally, to uh, to us, maybe the days of me phoning a friend to see whether they were uh, free after school or indeed arranging to see them after school at school uh, have gone. Now we've got Twitter, we've got Facebook, we've got smartphones. Uh, for example, Kate and I use our smartphones um, very well. Uh, we put our events in our diaries, so whatever Kate puts on her phone appears on my phone, and whatever I put on my phone appears on her phone. So it, we, we never, we never don't know where each other are, which is quite good. So um, we don't double book things in diaries anymore. Um, it just I, I get a lot of uh, reminders telling me where Kate should be. So um, and I'm assuming Kate gets reminders where I should be as well. Um, we can video call the other side of the world. We did that at Christmas. We had a friend over in Tanzania, and we used our phones to video call Tanzania, which was quite uh, remarkable. We have the ability to buy our shopping while sitting on a park bench now. The list is pretty much endless. Uh, we are, our culture around us is becoming really technologically dependent. The youth worker at a church in Southampton we went to um, challenged his young people to give up telephones, the internet, and... Uh, television for as long as they possibly could. Now, I wonder if I could make it through a weekend. Uh, I'd like to think I could. However, a simple Google search would suddenly turn into having to go to a bookshelf, I think, and see if I've got a book on it. Or, I mean, even a trip to the library might be, might be, might be there. So we've, we've changed so much. Our culture has shifted. We also seem to have escalated to a want it now, um, or escalated the want it now. It's been around for a while. Um, We have the iPhone 5 coming out, which is a yearly upgrade to the iPhone 4, which was a yearly upgrade to the iPhone 3 and 2 and the original iPhone. It just seems to be every time I get technology, something else comes out which betters it, and I kind of feel a bit, hmm. Um, Believe it or not, we still have a television that we can put cards on top of. We had an anniversary recently, and there's cards on top of the television, which dawned on me the other day that I couldn't do that if I had a flat screen. So... um, (laughs) 
We also appear to be witnessing a change in aspirations amongst our young people. Last year, a survey, this is from The Guardian um, last year, it says, last year a survey found that the top three, three career aspirations for five to 11-year-olds in Britain were sports star, pop star, and actor, compared with teacher, banker, I can kind of see why that one's not in there anymore, and doctor 25 years ago. The number of child performance licenses issued by councils to pupils who miss three or more days of school per half term to perform increased in five years by 80%. The stagecoach, the performing arts school franchise, student numbers leapt from 12,000 in 1999 to 36,000 today. Uh, as Rachel, a character in the TV show Glee, if anyone's seen it, says, there's a quote from her that says, nowadays being anonymous is, ra- is worse than being poor. Nowadays being anonymous is worse than being poor. That the show is mocking her doesn't undermine its belief in the statement. Uh, it goes on to say, it's partly just fashion. When children wanted to be doctors, I don't think it was because they were genuinely more interested in the function of the spleen than they are now. You go where the respect is, and the respect has gone to some weird places. It is surprising how many young people that I meet who are desperate to be celebrities. Um, We appear to continue to grow this celebrity culture. So that's just a few bits of culture that I kind of see going on at the moment. I want to show you a picture, and I'm quite glad the sun's gone in, because you'll be able to see it. Um, what you're looking at is a picture of a bridge in Honduras. It was taken after Hurricane Mitch devastated the Caribbean in 1998. Uh, it was the most modern of all the bridges. Every other bridge got destroyed, and it was called the Choluteca Bridge, and it survived intact, but perhaps suffered the greatest indignity. The river moved right out from underneath it, and had a different path. Apparently, the company that built the bridge was so proud of this picture that it became uh, the, the show picture on front of their brochures to show the strength of their construction of a bridge, that it would survive a hurricane. There was just one problem, though. The storm had completely forced the river away. The original river obviously would have gone under the bridge and carried on at the top, but suddenly it had moved. The bridge was still standing, but it was no longer functioning in the best way that it could. It had become completely irrelevant and had no purpose other than being a relic or a tourist attraction. So what I want to do today is answer the question, how do we as a church, as a body of believers in this town, in the culture outside, keep ourselves relevant to the culture? How can we affect the culture around us as well? I'm going to leave that up just as a bit of a a bit of a a focus. Rob and Steve have spoken to us as a church about becoming more visible. We're going to become more visible. We're more visible here. We're on the high street. Well, we're kind of on on a main thoroughfare through. We've got a big poster outside. And I want to share with you this afternoon a little bit of what God has been speaking to me about through the book of Daniel, but also through my work at Kenilworth Youth for Christ, which is a charity running in Kenilworth, which works with the local churches and the local school to bring good news to young people. So I'm going to be doing a little bit of that as well, and hopefully that will be um, good. Whilst the illustrations are going to be from Kenilworth Youth for Christ, I believe that there is a message for us all, no matter what our age. So we're going to look at the story in Daniel and learn three lessons. We're going to learn that Daniel learnt, we're going to learn that Daniel had boundaries, and we're going to learn that Daniel made the best of his opportunities. 
So, getting into Daniel, um, a little bit of historical background. Judah, in the south of Israel, was taken into captivity through an invasion by the Babylonian king, King Nebuchadnezzar, in 605 BC. Judah was not completely destroyed, though, as we read, but it was looted extensively. King Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah, took treasures from the temple, and deported the healthiest of the Hebrews, so men and women, back to Babylon, Babylonia to be slaves. Daniel was amongst those taken into captivity. Eight years later, there was a second deportation in 598 when Ezekiel prophesied to those in captivity. And almost 11 years later, in 588, it happened again, and then it all collapsed and Judah was, the temple was destroyed. So, there's a bit of history there that, that Daniel had been moved, uh, physically moved, forced to be moved from his hometown. So point one, Daniel learnt. So when Daniel was taken from his hometown, his home country into a new place, he had to learn a radically different culture. He would have been ripped from his own culture and placed in a new place with new things to learn. Daniel 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 4, says, Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve the king in the palace. It's quite obvious that Daniel was intelligent, knowledgeable, and had good judgment, and was obviously capable of serving in the palace. However, at the end of verse 4, it says that Nebuchadnezzar wanted the men, including Daniel, to be trained in the language and literature of Babylon. So who here can speak another language? Anybody? Or any part of another language? Okay, excellent, Mark. I'm not going to make you do it, don't worry, so it's fine. Um, I used to learn German at GCSE level, and I can just about tell you that die Dorm ist gehen sie gerade aus auf der linken Seite, which is the cathedral is straight ahead and on the left-hand side, and I've since been told that that's an incredibly posh way of saying it, so I'm obviously had a very posh German teacher. Uh, Apparently, the Babylonian language was ancient, it was incredibly complicated, it had different alphabets for different times. Scholars reckon that the academic literature that would have been learnt would have been learnt in the language. So it included maths, astronomy, history, science, and a little bit of magical literature as well, just to keep things a little bit interesting. So Daniel would have had to have learnt a brand new language, and all this literature, in verse 5, it says they were trained for three years. So I can't imagine learning the German language and then reading all the German literature in the German language within three years. That was some pretty, it was a pretty impressive feat. So Daniel had to learn the culture that he was in, everything about it. And as part of what we do at Kenilworth Youth for Christ, we need to be immersed in the culture of young people in the town that we're in and further afield. We've not been taken from our homeland and uh, forced into it, but we are exposed completely to a different cultural norm than we see here and maybe in the workplace that we work in, being a Christian environment. When we're in the schools, we see and hear a lot of stories and situations that are a little bit alien to us, and maybe maybe a little bit alien to, to a church context as well. And what we're having to learn is a whole other language. I mean, you just about learn some of the lingo that the young people use, and the next day they've got something brand new that they're talking about, and I've got a clue what they're talking about. So um, the language of the instant fix, the celebrity culture, everything within that culture uh, that they have, we need to learn. 
And Kenilworth Youth for Christ runs on um, four, uh, well, our aims, all aim towards four Ds. So the first one is to demonstrate. We demonstrate God's love through what we do. We have a lunchtime club. We attend trips. We go on residentials with the, with the young people in the school. Just being part of what is going on there, uh, we're being God's light to other people. Just being part of learning the culture and being in there, we're showing that we're bothered to turn up. We're, we're, we, we want to meet with these young people. Just as Daniel was doing, we are learning how the world works. So we've seen that Daniel is learning a culture. He's having to really study hard. But with learning this culture, Daniel would have been at risk. So I want to move on now to look at Daniel's boundaries. In verse 5, again it says that um, they they were taken into the king's service, and a little bit later on it talks about Uh, Food and wine came out from the king's kitchens. What better way for young young men and women to learn about the culture and to taste its delights? Kate and I went to Thailand last year, and uh, on our first night in Bangkok, we uh, spoke to our hotel owner in this tiny hotel in this tiny little back street of uh, Bangkok and said, we need somewhere to eat. And she said, oh, I know a great restaurant. She packed us into a bus and, and drove us off to this middle of nowhere and um, into a Thai restaurant. We were the only Westerners in there and we caused quite a stir. But the food there was quite amazing because it was obviously cooked for that culture. And uh, it was amazing being able to taste the different flavors and the different, uh, the different ways they cooked, all washed down with a Coca-Cola. Um, you know, very cultural. But um, this food would have been, in Daniel's time, the best in the land. It would have come from the kitchen of the king. Uh, what an amazing experience. There was one problem, though, that Daniel, for some reason, knew that by eating this food, he would defile himself. In verse 8, it says that Daniel was determined that this wouldn't happen, that he would be devoted to the principle and committed to a course of action. So imagine the scene. You're in the courts of the king of Babylon. You're waiting for dinner, and you can smell the vegetables. You can see the wine on the table. You can hear the bustle of others waiting for dinner. The walls are lavished with fine fabrics, beautiful gemstones, and the air is filled with the spices of the land. And you're not familiar with it, but you're hungry. Then you see it. Out comes the largest pork dish you have ever seen. You see, as a Hebrew from the land of Judah, Daniel wouldn't have been permitted to eat pork. And some scholars agree that the reason that Daniel wouldn't eat the food is due to the restrictions on the food in Jewish law. Now, the word defile is such a strong word. I looked it up, and it says to make filthy, dirty, pollute, debase, uh, corrupt, to make profane, to, to, to sully, to unclean, unfit, violate. It's such a strong word. Daniel was so devoted to the Lord and the commands that he had been that he had given that he was determined not to pollute or desecrate the promise that God had given him. Now, one alternative to the, to the reason why Daniel wouldn't eat the food was that he didn't want to rely on the gifts of the king of Babylon. He only wanted to rely on the gifts from God. And I think this gives another great understanding. It adds an extra thing to it of the lengths that Daniel went to avoid defiling himself. Although for today's purposes, we're going to be thinking about food, um, naturally, and we're going to be uh, sticking to, to that interpretation. 
It's interesting that Daniel, um, when he went over to Babylon, would have would have known what he was doing, uh, and Nebuchadnezzar would have known what he was doing as well. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar was going all out. The king was going all out to alter the identities of the uh, of, of the slaves. He wanted to change the religious loyalties of the four characters that we have mentioned, and actually. So much so, he changed their names. Now, it's really interesting when you start looking at the names. So Daniel means God is my judge. It's quite simple. Belshazzar, which it was changed to, means Bel, who's the chief Babylonian god, protect his life. Hananiah was, it means the Lord shows grace. That was changed to Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku, which was the moon god. Mishael, who is like God, was changed to Meshach, probably who is like Aku. Again, the moon god. And Azariah, or uh, Azariah, the Lord helps, it means. And that was changed to Abednego, which probably means the servant of Nebo, the god of learning and writing. So what Nebuchadnezzar was doing is he was trying to subtly change the identity of these young men. A name meant so much in the Old Testament times. It was a great honor. Think of Abraham, the meaning father, being changed to Abraham, father of many. And what a prophetic statement that was. Daniel's identity, Daniel meaning God is my judge, was trying to be changed. Matthew Henry, who is the Puritan commentator of the Bible, puts it in such a great way. He puts, thus, though they were not forced from their religion of their fathers, of that of their, sorry, though, though they were not forced from the, oh dear, so they were not forced from the religion of their fathers to that of their conquerors, yet they did what they could by fair means insensibly to wean them from their former and instill the latter into them. I love that word weaning. It's almost like a gentle teasing away. So what was happening to Daniel is he was being gently teased away from his culture just by changing a name and being subtly getting under the skin. The temptation of the great feast was there as well. Just subtly, oh, smell that, that smells good, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, of course that does. Oh, no, oh, oh, what am I doing? But Daniel remained firm. He remained true to his roots. And he didn't feed on what the king told him to. I wonder what we feed on as people. I wonder what the young people I see feed on. I know that a lot of them feed on a celebrity world and this hunger to be noticed They feast on the next gadgets and the satisfaction that that will bring. And there is always the danger with our work that we could get so immersed in the culture that we're in, so immersed in this school culture, that we'd end up being irrelevant. We'd try so hard to be relevant, but we'd end up just being like everybody else. Daniel stood out because he refused to eat and he refused to compromise. You see, the way I see it is that there is nothing wrong with having the latest gadgets. There's nothing wrong with having an iPhone. There's nothing wrong with keeping up with celebrity culture. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be an actor. Nothing wrong with having dreams. I watched The X Factor last night, or the end of it. Um, and, you know, everyone talking, oh, well, why do you want to do this? Oh, it's by my dreams since I was young. Well, that's great. Have a dream, and that's absolutely fantastic. And I'll I'll explain a little bit more of that later, but when we start to feed off what this is, when we start to, only that next iPhone will satisfy me, only being an actor will satisfy me, when we start to feed off that, I think maybe sometimes we might have gone too far. If we um, 
If we refuse to learn the culture, if we say, nope, not going to learn it at all, uh, absolutely not, we're going to stay in our churches and we're going to hunker down and wait for it all to pass by, um, I think maybe we're in danger of becoming a little bit like the bridge, a bit irrelevant, um, and maybe a bit of a tourist attraction or a relic. Likewise, if we allow the culture we're embracing to start weaning us off uh, what we believe, um, then we become just as irrelevant, I think. Andy Crouch puts it wonderfully, who was a speaker at the New Frontiers Everything conference, where he says, it would be a bit like a drawbridge church. You kind of pull the drawbridge up and all hide in the castle and wait for it all to pass by. And, and then, well, nobody really hears the gospel then. Nobody really understands what's going on. And we, we don't really know what's going on in culture. You see, what roots Kenilworth Youth for Christ is the gospel. What we feed off when we work is the gospel. We quite often do gospel presentations, and one of, our, one of the ones we use is a, is, is a white T-shirt that's got sticky notes stuck all over it with uh, things that people could do wrong, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, stuck all over. And we, 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 we kind of talk through the gospel like that, and we say, actually, you can't get these things off, but sometimes it just feels like you feel a little bit dirty with what, you know, you just, you just want to kind of get these things off you, but they won't come off. And actually, the only thing that can get those off is what Jesus did on the cross, the fact that God sent Jesus to earth to live with us, live among us, learn what we, kind of get involved, cry like us, experience every human emotion, and then say, look, actually, all of that can go with a sacrifice, and I'm going to be that sacrifice. So we teach this to young people. That is the gospel. That is where we're at, the fact that they could have eternal life and life to the full now. In our mission statement, we're called to take good news to every young person in town. And I want to share a bit of our vision and aims document with you where it says, Kenilworth Youth for Christ is joining in with many other youth organizations to bring hope and encouragement to young people. We're fine with that. We will join with secular um, youth, youth work, we'll join with everybody to bring a hope and encouraging message to young people. But we have a deep conviction to act on and share the message of Christianity, and we believe our starting point for this is Jesus. We're happy to demonstrate the gospel. We're happy just to go along. We're happy to be involved with worldly programs and theories. Good news can be a really positive message. It can, that's, that's what good news means in the dictionary. It's just a positive and an encouraging message. And if we join in with that, that's great. But if we stopped there, well, we'd just be Kenilworth Youth or Kenilworth Youth for. We wouldn't have the Christ. You see, the next two Ds are declare and decide. What, whilst we're in the culture, we want to stay true to who we are. We're not subtle. Our name is Kenilworth Youth for Christ. It's not subtle when we go into schools. We're not hiding anything. Um, we want to declare the gospel of Jesus and give opportunity for people to decide about the gospel and whether they want to make a commitment to follow Jesus. We might not always directly preach the gospel in circumstances where this would break relationships down or we just simply can't. But in all we do, we feed off the Lord and his word. We keep the gospel central. An American pastor, Mark Driscoll, some of you may have heard of him, said at a conference we were at once that he watches and records as much television as he possibly can. Sounds great, doesn't it? Um, maybe not. That this, he does this so that he can keep up with what's going on in the world and what's going on in the world that he's trying to preach the gospel to. He doesn't live by the TV. He doesn't 
you know, say, that's, that's what I feed off. He keeps the gospel central, but he wants to know, what are people watching? What are people doing? See, Daniel learnt the culture, but he refused to embrace it to the point he compromised his beliefs. Well, what happens next is quite, quite key, and quite key to what we're talking about today. Daniel made the best of his opportunities. So let's turn to Daniel 1, uh, 9 to 15, and we'll read that through again. It says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel had refused to eat at this point. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief, uh, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink and compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. And at the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. We see this conversation played out between the king's chief of staff and Daniel. After Daniel refused to eat the food, the, king, the chief of staff was really afraid that the king would, would, would have him, basically, if, if Daniel was to, something was to happen to Daniel. But Daniel convinced him. And ten days, they only ate a diet of vegetables and water, the guard agreed this, they were a lot healthier, and the menu was changed. Not entirely sure what the other guys thought of that, um, but um, Daniel starts to make the best of the opportunities that he's in. He starts to make the best of the opportunities he's in. The culture that Daniel is, try- is trying to wean Daniel off is starting to lose the battle. You see, back to Matthew Henry, he says... They could, by fair means, insensibly try and wean them off their form. It wasn't sensible to do, because Daniel knew what he was doing. And Daniel knew that if he trusted in God, then God would have a plan. Flicking on to Daniel 2, uh, we didn't read it, just purely because Daniel 2 is quite long. Um, We see more opportunities that Daniel had. In summary, the king was having dreams. So this had happened beforehand, and Daniel had said, yep, that's fine, and it said that Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. So Daniel had been accepted in. And the king was then having dreams, and he asked his magicians and his wise men to interpret these dreams. And in verse 10, we see this comment. The astrologers answered the king, there is not a person on earth who can do what the king asks. Talk about laying the bait to Daniel. You know, talk about, it's just, you can hear Daniel thinking, excellent. Um, Daniel does pick up on this. And in verse 27 of chapter 2, he says this. Daniel replied, no wise man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mysteries he had asked about. But there is a God in heaven who can reveal the mysteries. Remember, Daniel would have learnt the culture. He would have known the magician's literature and the wise men's literature. He would have known that there's no way they could have done that. And we can assume that he knew that God was greater and could satisfy where the Babylonian culture couldn't. So does the culture around us now have limits? 
There's a singer-songwriter called Lily Allen who has recently left the music industry and she wrote a song that said this, I don't know what's right and what's real anymore and I don't know what I'm meant to feel anymore. And when do you think it will all become real because I'm being taken over by the fear? And Robbie Williams of uh, former Take That fame said, he wrote, he wrote a, a song that, uh, or he sang a song at least, that had lyrics longing for real love. You see, people who were part of the game show of Big Brother have been forgotten. Can anyone remember the third series winner of Big Brother? Nope. Okay. Good. Anyone remember there? Anyone know who won this year? No? Okay. That's good. I don't either. So, um, they've been forgotten, desperately trying to get into celebrity magazines to keep their face going or just trying to appear in adverts to say, oh, I'm still here. Some lottery winners have spent all of their money on really nice things. The I want it all now generation. There's a 16-year-old lottery winner called Callie Rogers who uh, spent all of her money, nearly £2 million, and then said this. I thought the money would make life easier, but it just made things worse. Suddenly, I didn't know if people loved me for me. I thought the way to be loved was to shower people with gifts. Having money was just slowly destroying me and making the insecurities I felt even worse. You see, I believe the worldly culture around us does have limits. The idea of becoming a celebrity for many won't lead anywhere. I'd ask people who say that they want to be a celebrity and be satisfied by that, well, there's no one on earth who can do that. You see, being an actor, not a problem. Being a celebrity, that's not a problem. But if you feed off those things, and if that is your only goal, you see again on the X Factor, people who are told, no, you're no good, sorry, get off, and they just break into pieces and say, well, that's all I've ever lived for. And you think, well, it's really sad to see that, and it's it's a real shame to see people who have just devoted their entire life to that. Our last strategy at Kenilworth Youth of Christ is to disciple young people, to encourage young people in the Christian faith and along their walk. Like Daniel, we're learning the culture, we know what's going on in television land, we can talk to young people about technology. I must confess, and I know this will shock Steve, but I'm not particularly a football fan anymore, Um, but I do keep up with the scores, and I do watch a bit of match of the day, uh, just to help me in conversations with young people. You know, if, if a lot of the lads I see only talk about football, so I'd be completely out of it if I didn't. And I'm quite honest with them and say, I don't really follow this, but, you know, I know I, I, I keep, I keep an eye on it. And that's, that seems to be okay with them. I wouldn't go in and just say, oh yeah, yeah I was at the match yesterday, and, cause I really wasn't. Um, but I, I personally know that the culture around these young people and, and around the world outside really won't satisfy. You see, Daniel knew that as well, and he, but he knew that God, what God had called him to do, and he knew that God would satisfy. We know that God has called us to impact the young people of Kenilworth with the love of God and bring good news to them at this time. We will be there when other things may not satisfy and will hopefully point to an ultimate source of satisfaction, which is Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. By learning the culture, staying true to our roots, and making the best of the opportunities, we can start to change our community and start to transform lives. So where does that leave us? I mean, I've talked about Kenilworth Youth for Christ, I've talked about young people, and I've talked about Daniel. Well, 
how does this apply to us? Um, I think it can be applied everywhere. You see, to parents of children, I think I'd, I'd want to say this. I, I really believe that it's good that our children go to school and learn things of this world. However, I really, we really do need to be explaining stuff to them. Uh, Anna's very small at the moment, but I... I'm quite firmly believing that that's what we need to do. Mark Driscoll, again, when he's watching his TV programs, he watches them with his children. And he, often, he says, he said at the conference, he pauses uh, part way through the program to talk about what's been going on. Now, I'd find that really frustrating as someone kept pausing the program and saying, what's going on here? But he, if he's watching The Simpsons with them, for example, he said that he'll stop it and say, well, how, how is Homer the father figure here? How is he relating to, to, to Bart? Or in the respect, you know, is Bart giving, giving, giving the dad the respect that he deserves there as a father? So he stops the program and talks about it and helps, helps his children to understand. Now, I can see a Simpsons episode asking, lasting about three hours there rather than 25 minutes, but... Um, <laughs> Hey, uh, we need to help our children see that God satisfies and not the culture around them. And that goes for the children of the church as well. We need to be reflecting lives that actually all God satisfies. You know, yeah, we're in this culture. We, 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 we love, uh, I love Solihull. I love the fact that we live here. But that doesn't satisfy me. What satisfies me is what God is doing. If, I, if, if our children see people that are doing things that they don't think is right, then actually with Daniel, we can look at that again and say, well, look, he refused to do things. He, he said, no, that, that, that's, that's wrong. That's, that's not where I've been taught. So I would encourage Anna at the back you know, to learn lots of things at school, but to hold on to what she learns at church, what she learns from us as parents, and what she learns about God and his gospel and what God is revealing to her as well. You see, putting those two in, in, in perfect balance, I think, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, you know, absolutely not. I'm not standing here thinking, oh yes, well, you know, she's only four months now, but it'll be really easy. But it's, it's not going to be easy. But, you know, by, by reflecting that on, on, to Anna, I think that works. I think it'll be a, a good step to go. Adults at work, in the community, all of us together, wherever we are, I'd really encourage us to not shy away from the culture. Get to know the Bible more and more, and therefore get to know Jesus more. Get to know, holding on to that gospel, what we believe, grabbing opportunities to shine at the light of Jesus where we can and start affecting our culture. Whether that's the conversation you have with someone who's had a bad back for years at work, you know, oh, my back's gone again, and you're thinking, well, I haven't actually offered to pray for them. Or a conversation about why we're so joyful all the time. That happened to me the other day. I went, I met up with some old work colleagues and I met them at the door of the pub and I just went, hello! And they all looked at me and went, crikey, what's happened to you? You know, and you think, oh, um, just, just being me. You know, I, I didn't sit there and go, it's because the light of the Lord is shining in me. But, uh, you know, it's interesting that they'd noticed that I was, uh, that there was something jolly about me. It was probably the fact that I got the afternoon off work. But, um, <laughs> Maybe we don't need to think that big. Uh, David Coke, when he came, told us of a, a story about the milk where everybody in the workplace was putting pints of milk in with their name written on them. And then one day someone just came in with a four pint of milk and plopped it in the fridge and just said, please use, written on it. And suddenly everyone was buying four pints of milk with please use written on it. The culture was starting to change. He'd made the best of his opportunity, that guy. You know, He kind of thought, well, this is the culture I'm in, but that's not what I've learned. This is what I've learned, is share. 
I've read some wonderful stories of random acts of kindness on the, on the internet, and some of these are great. Uh, this one's from a waitress. It says, I am a waitress in Seattle. Today I woke up and decided I want to begin doing random acts of kindness. I pondered on what I could do and came up with pay for my eighth table that I waitress. It was an amazing experience going up to my customers and telling them the bill has already been paid for you, uh, for you by somebody who's trying to do a random act of kindness. They were shocked and so thankful it almost made me cry. I got a picture with the family and I must say this won't be my last random act of kindness. This is just the start. Another one, uh, this is from America. Um, I, well, they have drive through Starbucks. I think we're getting them, actually. Uh, I always go to Starbucks for my weekly treat on Friday. Today, when I got up to the window to pay, the barista told me that the lady in front of me had paid for my order and said to have a blessed day. That certainly put a smile on my face today. Thank you to the lady in front of me who showed your kindness to a stranger. At the moment, New Day is, well, I think, might have just finished, actually, which is the New Frontiers Youth Conference. And they have uh, red T-shirt brigades. And uh, as all these young people go out into the communities at the, at the uh, Away from the Bible week that we're at, uh, one afternoon a week, well, every afternoon during the week, and they go and do things in the community. And sometimes it can be painting a wall, sometimes it can be clearing gardens. And there was one when we were up in Manchester, it was the idea of this. And uh, maybe it wasn't Manchester, it was somewhere. But they had um, teams of people clearing up an estate and they were just clearing the litter and stuff. And the first few days, they got all these people jibbing at them, saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? So, oh, go away, all these T-shirts, kind of sweep it up and clearing the glass out of the plants. And by the end of the week, the people from the flats had come down with hose and brushes and rakes and all that kind of thing, and had cleared, was starting to join in and starting to clear uh, what was going on. And they were starting to take pride in what they were seeing outside. You see, that, to me, is just the perfect example that... The, the, the young people of New Day knew the kind of culture they were in. They wanted to get out, they wanted to clear it, they wanted to take the gospel outside, and they wanted to go and do that. So, we, we, so how can we stay relevant and change culture? We can learn the culture, we can know the boundaries, and we can make the best of our opportunities. Jubilee is going more public. We will be sent out into the communities more. We're very public here. We've been learning recently, uh, Rob did a talk not long ago, on the culture of honour being set in the church. Honouring God first, honouring others and our community. I really do urge you to listen to these talks again. I've had a, a quick flick over some of them and uh, it's, it's amazing hearing something again. Let's continue to get involved in what's going on outside. I think as a church, we're actually pretty good with this. I think we, 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 we do get involved in what's going on in our communities and what's going on in our culture. But let's stay true to the gospel as well. Let's stay true to that message, uh, the Jubilee message of grace, restoration, freedom and justice. Let's keep those four things rolling around in our heads. The culture of honour, the fact that we could just go and honour other people. Let's take that out to affect others and let's see what we can do. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for the message of Daniel. We thank you that he was willing to learn the culture that he was in. We thank you, though, that he didn't get weaned by that culture. We thank you that he wasn't uh, teased away from it, Lord, that actually he, st- he stood, stood, stood t- tall and said, no, this is what I believe, and I'm not going to cross, I'm not going to feed on the things of other cultures. 
And Lord, we thank you that he spotted the opportunities because of what he'd seen in the culture. He knew that those magicians would not be able to interpret that dream. And that was his opportunity to jump in. Lord, we just pray that over these next few weeks and months, we would have opportunities to be able to show the culture of honour that we're learning here. Lord, I pray that we'd be able to have opportunities to demonstrate the grace, freedom, restoration and justice that we so, uh, we're so rooted in in this church. Lord, I pray we would be able to share the gospel as we go around. And Lord, I just pray that we would have fun in this world as well, Lord. That this world is created by you. And it's created by you for your enjoyment. And uh, Lord, we want to worship you in this world. We want to uh, we want to get out into your world and we want to see it. We want to experience it. We want to get involved with the incredible array of cultures and languages and things that you have you've, you've set in this world. And Lord, we want to engage with that and we want to, um, we want to take your light into our communities. So Father, we pray you would do that. Holy Spirit, we pray you would come and you would give us strength and power and give us words and wisdom to be able to take out into our communities. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.